Hare Krishna, everyone. You are listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Uh, I'm your host, Namras Das of the Late Morning Program. I am here with Komalu Kumari Dasi, or also known as Kumari. Uh, Kumari, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Number one <laughs> podcast in the world. I made it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. So so a little bit of background about uh, having Kumari on was that for our listeners, uh, Kumari and her husband Rupa, a good friend of ours, came over and we were just talking uh, till late in the night. And I was like, I loved what Kumari was talking about. I mean, it was just amazing, uh, you know, just speaking from experience and a lot of uh, realization and thing. I said, why don't you come on the podcast and and talk about it? And and she agreed. And now we're here. So um, Kumari, let's let's start out by talking a little bit about you and uh, where you grew up and, and how was your childhood? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I am a second generation Hare Krishna Iskand devotee. <laughs> My parents are both Srila Prabhupada disciples. I was I had kind of a typical Gurukuli growing up experience of living in a lot of different places. Right. I was um, I was born in England, actually in Leicester. A lot of people don't know that about me. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I was born in Leicester. My dad was the temple president of the Leicester Temple, and he opened that temple, the original one. Wow. And when I was three, we moved to Detroit, Michigan, and I went to Gurukul there for some time. And then I also went to public school from the age, actually from preschool to seventh grade. I went to a different school every single year. <laughs> oh my gosh. Every single year. Yeah. It was a lot of moving around. And so I was in Detroit until I was about nine. And I'm thinking about in context of the way I grew up in Krishna consciousness, some of the things that shaped my reality. And a lot of them lead back to that time between, I'd say like five and nine years old. A lot of, a lot of memories come up from that time. Right. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to Achuta about this a little while ago. I think that our parents, for those of us who were born in Krishna consciousness, I think for our parents, there was this idea that, you know, they did the Garbhadhan sunscreen. <laughs> right. They were going to have these like Prahlad Maharaj children. Like right. there's no, there's no question of it. They have so much faith in that. Right. Yeah. Yes. So we're born into these families and no doubt it's such a great fortune. Like I, that's not lost on me at all. It, it, I feel incredibly fortunate. Um, and at the same time, I recognize, like I look back at some of these times when I was a child and the philosophy was given to me in a way that was like very mature. Did you experience mm. that too? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mature, yeah. mature. What do you mean by mature exactly? So it's based on a very mature understanding of reality in a way that was difficult for my childhood, you know, emotional brain to understand. Mm. For example, I'll just tell you, like, 
one time, I think I was about seven or eight. I, I saw this ad in a, like a junk paper catalog for a bicycle that was on, I think at target, it was like super cheap and I really wanted a bicycle. So I showed it to my dad. I was like, Baba, look, this is only, you know, $40, this bicycle. Like I need a bicycle. And he saw it and he went, yeah, you do need a bicycle. That's great. Like, let's go get it. And so it was, my world was just like, so good. You know, I was so excited. Everything was like going at according to plan. And we yeah. got in the car and we went to Target or Kmart or wherever it was. And it, the bicycles were sold out because they were on sale. Like it was a really good deal. So there weren't any. Yeah. And so I had to deal with that disappointment. And it hit me very, very hard. It was like emotionally incredibly difficult for me to like wrap my head around the fact that I wasn't going to get that bicycle. Mm. And I remember sitting in the car, just sobbing and crying and just feeling very, very hurt that I, you know, it was kind of unusual for my dad to just be like, so for for him to so easily agree to something. And then we went out and it was like a family outing and I had an expectation. I was going to come home with a bicycle and, um, and my dad, when we've talked about this, like, I totally understand where he was coming from. I totally, I don't hold anything against him. And he, he raised me with so much love. But he, in the car, um, he quoted that verse, the matra sparshas tu conteya. The non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and the disappearance are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. Right. At that time, I was just like, no, no. Why are you quoting this? I'm mad and like, I'm not being seen. I'm not being right. acknowledged. Yeah. So there were, there were a lot of things like that mm. that I can recognize now that are not, they're not things that I would like be like, oh, I want to, I would want to change that. But they're things that I've had to kind of work through now in order to, develop my own authentic approach to Krishna consciousness. And there are also things that I think about that I think, oh, you know, how do, how would that inform my parenting one day? Right, right. Um, yeah, so back to the trajectory of my life. I, sure. I was, when I was nine years old, we moved to Alachua. And then we went back and forth from Alachua to Detroit. And this whole time, actually, we were going back and forth to India a lot. And, and significantly, like we would go for six months um, oh, yeah. and come back. When I was two, actually, is when we went to India and my whole family decided to move to India so that my sister could pursue dance, Anapani could pursue dance. Oh. Um, but we ended up only staying for six months and coming back. So we were always going back and forth. And I moved to Alachua when I was nine. And then when I was 12, I joined Lakshmimoni Prabhu's ashram. Mm-hmm. Mataji's ashram and that phase in my life also um those four years in Gurukul they they impacted my personal life of course and my spiritual life in so many different ways both good and bad mm. um and now I look back at that time and I think back to the way that I was molded as a devotee like the way I was brought up and it was very much from the outside in, like from the externals, 
this is what a devotee looks like. This is what a devotee does. This is what right. a devotee wears. This is how a devotee acts. Right. And so it was like, I now realize looking back, I was actually experiencing like this constant inner turmoil. Mm. Like I was like, I'm not that. I'm not that person. And I'm forcing myself to be that person in order to gain the approval of others. Right. Um, so those four years, um, mm -hmm. that was that, uh, did you live on the, is like an ashram there? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was full Gurukula curriculum. It was like, wake up at three 30, oh, wow. um, go to Mangalarti. And, and we lived there. It was, it was about 14 to 20 girls at any given time. Yeah. And, and we were all between the ages of 12 to 17, 18. So it was. Uh, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that experience. I mean, you said yeah. that it's good and bad in, in that. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more detail, you know, because I think I think it's really important to hear about this because um, a lot of people have gone through this and some 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 people have gone through it and, and come out the other side. OK, appreciating Christian conscious, but some people haven't. They've actually gone completely the other way. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd like to firstly acknowledge the people who really, really had a very difficult time in Gurukul. Yeah. Um, I I personally came away from it. Of course, I, I had a lot of like what I call micro traumas. Like there were little things that affected me personally to this day that I'm, I'm working through. But I, I understand that some people really, really had such difficult experiences and my heart really breaks for them because those people were their Krishna consciousness was completely devastatingly impacted by that. Yeah. Yeah. And my experience was not that I, um, so firstly, I, I would say that I learned so much. I, I, we had Shastra class, every day. We were tested on Bhagavad Gita. We were tested on Sri Shopanishad, Nectar of Devotion. Like for all those things, I was, I'm so, so grateful. And it's interesting because at the time it, it, it always comes up later, like my gratitude for it and my recognition of how impactful and, and powerful it was. At the time it was just like, oh, I have to study this. You know, I have yeah. to force myself to uh, regurgitate this information. But now I, it's, I realize how much it's all kind of it's sunk into my subconscious, all of those, all that shloka memorization, mm -hmm. even though so much of it is gone, it's sunk into my subconscious in a way that like, it's really fascinating, actually. Like sometimes I'll be completely not thinking about it and then it'll sink in and then I'll go like, what is that verse? Where did that verse come from? Why did it just come into my mind? And then I'll look it up. And it's mm -hmm. like completely applicable to what I'm experiencing in my life in the current moment. So for that, I'm like, oh, wow, there's a reason for all of this. It's all being mystically, like divinely arranged in order for me to grow and in order for me to um, deepen my understanding. So there's that. I'm super grateful for that. And then the other aspect is what I mentioned before of the approach of the outside in understanding of Krishna consciousness, I was so caught up in, and it was, it was very much the focus of my education to, to just learn about the externals. There was never, there was, there was so much understanding theoretically 
And there was, there was not any like inside out. And in a way I think, well, maybe, you know, that was just the nature of, of my understanding because I was young and I wasn't maybe capable of those kind of um, internal realizations, but it also wasn't really encouraged or focused. Like for example, I realized this a few years ago, like, wow, my whole life I've been taught that I'm the spirit soul, that I'm not this body. Yeah. But never once did anyone mention to me, like, here's how you practice identifying as the spirit soul. Here's how mm. you practice coming from a place of consciousness. And here's how you practice becoming aware of all of those subtle body, uh, the ways that they affect you and, and how you can actually disengage from them by observing them. Like mm. that was never, that was never even mentioned, you know, or right. it wasn't thought about. And another thing is, I think about the teachers that I had and with all due respect to every single one of them, um, you know, of course, I know that people have a lot of of hurt, and and I acknowledge that too. And at the same time, I acknowledge, I, I respect. I had a, I had a more or less good experience, so I respect that my teachers. But I understand that they are they were teaching in a way. And this is maybe like a little controversial, which is why it's a little hard to say, but I think I, I believe it in my heart to be true. Sure. So many of the teachers are still coming from unhealed trauma themselves there. And I don't think this is controversial, actually, now that it's coming out of my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were struggling with their own pain, right. their own lack of um, um, of acceptance of their own shortcomings their own difficulties and and it's so and this is breaking into like this this topic that we want to talk about it is if we are not if we are not feeling or encouraged and accepted to speak about what is difficult and what is what is out of the ordinary or what is um, painful for us, yeah. then we are continuing a cycle of, of non-acceptance basically, because we're not having, we're not accepting ourselves. And then we're, it's impossible for us to accept fully and love fully those who we are teaching. Right. So I look back and I think about like, wow, I got, I got in so much trouble for such petty things. I got in so much trouble and I was shamed. Like I was, I was um, given these really intense lectures about Kumari, you, you're, you're, you're never going to grow up. Like one of my ashram teachers used to call me Peter Pan. Cause she said like, <laughs> I was never going to grow up. And my immaturity was, um, it was setting a bad example and all these things like that, like, you know, dug deep into my subconscious. But now, like, as I'm breaking through that, I think, wow, that's, that's a projection. <laughs> that's a right. projection 
reflection of my teacher's inability to fully accept herself. And so how could she fully accept me? And how could she fully guide me and fully love me if right. she was still dealing with so much of her own inner stuff? It's a great responsibility to be a teacher and to be a guru to, you know, you have to, you know, that's, I like that point that you make that you have to kind of really be comfortable in yourself and, and have yourself healed before you even kind of teach others or, or, or counsel others, because it can definitely come out in the way you treat that person. Yeah, absolutely. And our, and our parents' generation felt so much pressure. I understand that too. There was so much pressure to like, to do the most. <laughs> and yeah. during Srila Prabhupada's time, it was much easier because he was giving them that. He was, it was exuding out of him that acceptance, that love. And yeah. it and it gave them the empowerment to do like they, you know, we talk about how they, the amount of service that people were doing, it felt humanly impossible because Srila Prabhupada was giving it to them. Like he had it. So he was giving it to them. Yeah. And when he left, there was this pressure to like keep doing all of that and and there was so much energy I, I I've you know this is my own interpretation of it my own perception but I feel like there was so much energy going outwards and and it's the inner work is difficult yeah. you have to acknowledge the ugly so it's it's yeah. hard to do so anyway that's my take on it I'm like yeah there were parts of it that were hard like my 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 privacy, like there was no boundaries. My my personal letters that I shared with my dear friends got read by my teachers. You really? know, things like that. Yeah, oh. like emotionally difficult things that I held on to for a long time. And now, and now with that perception of like, wow, they were dealing with their own things, <laughs> and there right. wasn't there wasn't healing. It all is like nowadays. I'm thinking back, and I'm thinking, wow, it's it comes down to like we as an institution, as a community, as a collective, and internally, we all are, we all need so much healing. We're all looking for so much healing. And ultimately, that is what is going to lead to the, the success of our mm -hmm. movement. It's not how many preaching centers can we open? Like how many people can we convert really quickly just to have them feel and supported and not, you know, encourage and facilitate their, their fragile bhakti lata creeper. And yeah, let's, let's, let's also collectively at the same time as all that external work, let's really, really put so much attention to our own healing. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, Prabhupada, there's that letter where he said, you know, what's the use of having so many neophyte devotees, whatever you have now, develop it, boil the milk, boil yeah. the milk make boil it sweet milk. and thick. And, yeah. and by that he meant the devotees we have, educate them, heal them, uh, counsel them, make the, make a community of devotees where people genuinely feel accepted and heard and all that. Uh, and, and not, not, always just looking outward and okay how many people like you said how many people can convert how many you know sh people can we shave up and get 16 rounds and all that you know yeah mm -hmm. that's a great point yeah yeah and and i think about like even the way the way you were just saying it like let's in let's take care of the devotees let's encourage the each other and then and then also let us tend to ourselves tend, let us tend to our own hearts and mm -hmm. 
And I think let's let's um, talk about that too, like as the conversation goes on, because I have a yeah. lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, but I'll just continue with kind of like where where the this whole yes yes um, journey took me. So I went to the ashram, uh, Lakshmi Moni's ashram, until I was sixteen, and then I went to India by myself, and I started studying dance more uh, more seriously, and I started really finding my my independence and I became independent at a pretty young age I was like I because I started boarding school and I was 12 and then I never went back and lived with my parents um, after right. that so um yeah I went to I went to India and then there was a lot of kind of like you know that that the girl teenage early adulthood you know like going to all the festivals and just trying yes. to like meet people Circuit. yeah have fun i went on like nine bus tours <laughs> wow. um, i haven't been on one yet <laughs> uh, i want to do it someday yeah it was it was so good it was so good talk about like building community and um manu and jay shirade they really did such an excellent job um creating an environment for for us to have fun in krishna consciousness yeah and and then i met rupa my husband when i was 20 okay. and and then we moved to new york when i was 22 um, i moved to new york and and then we got married when i was 25 and actually like looking back at my my life i think about when i got married that was of course such a big important milestone and it also because we grew up with we're growing up as devotees who grew up in krishna consciousness as well as you know in a parallel track with modern society yeah <laughs> we have these two kind of impressions put on us about what is what we should be doing Mm. And sometimes they're conflicting and sometimes that can be really difficult. So when I got married, there was like the, the wedding was amazing. Like the feeling of being married was amazing. And then, and then afterwards I had this, like the first kind of like existential, like <laughs> red wave, like wash over me, like, right. Oh no, what am I doing with my life? Mm. And I look back at that time and I definitely feel like look, now that I look back, I'm like, you know how they, they, they call it a dark night of the soul. That was, right. I, I would say like, that was one of my first ones that I'm really aware of. I think as when I was younger, I wouldn't have called it that, but that I was grappling with identity because I was married and I didn't know what I was doing with my career. And yeah. then a part of me was like, I feel like I, I, I would naturally kind of like to just explore not having a career and just work on artistic, creative pursuits. Yeah. But I felt like this heavy pressure. And that's, that's, you know, part of the impressions and the conditioning from growing up in, you know, 21st century United States, I felt this heavy pressure. Like I'm a strong, independent woman. I should have a career and right. I have to have something to show for that. Right. 
So there was like a few years of that, of just like not knowing and being so frustrated with not knowing. And at this, at that time, there was in my spiritual life, there was this kind of like pulling away and this rejection because I felt as though I have to figure out, I have to get my life figured out before I can do my spiritual life. Like I have to, I have to know what my material life is like my family, my, um, my career. I, I used to have this idea, like, like, let me get married, have kids, have a really good job, like buy a house. And then I'll start thinking about my spiritual life. (laughs) (laughs) Because my conception of what spiritual life is was so skewed, you know, it was Mm. a conception that like spiritual life means you go to the temple uh, every Sunday, you are every day, you wear a sari, you get initiated, you have this sadhana, like it was all externals. Yeah. So that was, that was because that was my impression it felt as though it was something that I couldn't deal with right now. It was something that's like for, you know, future Kumari's problem. Right. Right. And, and Wait, then, before you, before you go what, on, what, uh, why was it after your wedding that you started thinking about this? Why wasn't it like before that? I think it's because of this idea of like, who am I as a married person? Like who am I as a married woman? Right. That that question really was coming up. And before I was married, I still subtly felt like, you know, this sense of freedom, this sense of independence. Like I I had a job that I liked. I felt important. You know, I had this job that I had my own office. I worked at a yoga studio, but I was a membership advisor. It was like a really swanky yoga studio in Manhattan. And I had my own office and it was just like, I had my business cards. It felt really special. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Like, you know, I could invite friends to like come over for a free yoga class. Like, just put your stuff in my office. It felt really good. And then I quit that job in order to like really focus on the wedding. Oh, I see. And then, so then after I got married, I was not working and it was just like th- that like who am i and I, I remember my husband rupee he asked me like <laughs> you know we were having a discussion about finances and he asked me like do you because he was working and i wasn't and it was like this question came up of like do you want me to give you like an allowance <laughs> you know like, <laughs> should i should i put money in your account every month and, and, you know, now I, I think back and I'm like, I should have just been like, yeah, of course, you know, like right. you're my husband and we trust each other and I trust you. And like, you haven't, uh, you have an instinct to take care of me. And I, and I, and I, I'm respecting that by accepting it. But at that time there was like that, like, oh no, I'm not going to like accept charity, you know, like right, right. have a job. And I, so I went back to school and I was like, I was actually studying to become a speech pathologist and I was going down that, that trajectory. And I was like, yeah, at the end of this line is satisfaction. (laughs) You know, it's all the things that we, we heard so much of as kids, like those things don't bring you satisfaction, (laughs) but you know, we have to realize it for ourselves. And actually as I was studying, I, so I, graduated with my bachelor's in linguistics and, and speech pathology. And then I was studying for the GRE. 
shortly after I got married. I was studying for the GRE to take the to in order to apply for grad school. Right. And it was like very one track, like going to grad school. This is what I'm gonna do. And I signed up for the GRE. And this is when I think back and I'm like, wow, Krishna's so like all these things that are Krishna's so mystical, you know, like my life uh, these things all happened for a reason. Yes. So I signed up to take it and you have to pay like $240 to just to take the exam. And my full name, my full first name is Komala Kumari. And when I signed up, for some reason, I just put Komala Mayshark instead of putting Komala Kumari. Oh. I don't know why. I'm used to always writing Komala Kumari. And I studied for like four months for this test, like really, really rigorously studied. And then I went in to take it, you know, I was all prepared. And they looked at my ID and they looked at the sign up and they're like, that's not your name. Your name is Komala Kumari. You sign up under Komala, you can't take it. They're so, so strict about this. Wow. And so, and then there was no refund. And literally two days later, I was going to India to spend three months with my dance teacher. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't packed. I hadn't done anything in preparation. I had no time to, to like retake this exam. Right. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just like study more while I'm in India and I'll take it when I come back. That totally didn't happen. But yeah, that choice was made for me, I feel like. Mm. I had this attachment to, I, I wanted to, pursue this career. And now looking back, I've realized that's actually not at all what I wanted. Mm. It's not what I wanted. It was what I thought I wanted because it's, it's what society or, you know, whatever my impressions were that they had kind of inflicted on me. Mm. And I remember I used to think like, I just want to have a job that's really impressive. Like I just want people to be impressed by me. Right. And then, you know, that I realized that's, that's not at all. I just want to, what I really want is, um, is to just be engaged. I want to be doing something valuable with my time and I want to feel good about what I'm doing. That's what I really want. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of like, and especially after that GRE thing happened, there was like an added feeling of like, what am I doing with my life? And it really brought me to kind of a, on some days felt like it brought me to a really dark place. Like, you know, not being able to, not getting out of bed, you know, until like 2 PM and just like crying all day, you know, that heaviness of like, yeah, I don't know. And I, and I didn't feel like I could ever get out of it. I, you know, I would like watch all these motivational videos and I would just be like, that's never going to happen for me. None of this is ever going to happen for me. Just that feeling of doubt. And um, you didn't see Krishna's hand in it initially. No, no, because I didn't think I was worthy of Krishna's hand. That's the thing. I didn't, mm. think I was worthy of being involved in any any aspect of Krishna consciousness because I wasn't externally being a devotee. Oh, so very interesting. Moved. Yeah. And there was this, there was like bifurcation between my material life and my spiritual life. Yeah. And I felt like 
it was one or the other. And I felt like at this moment, I'm choosing my material life because I don't know how to do the spiritual life. Like that's, that is for the future. So my, my conception of spiritual life was so limited and yeah, exactly. I didn't see Krishna's hand in it. So Krishna was going to only be part of your life and helping you and you will see his hand only when you put, put attention on the spiritual side. But if you're going to only put it on the material side, you're on your own. Is that, yeah, what that was kind of the feeling. That was the yeah. feeling. Like I didn't have the internal experience of like, of being able to recognize that my consciousness is part and parcel of Krishna. Even though I had been told that it was like, right. that's only true if you chant 16 rounds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Great point. Great point. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I wasn't able to, I, I was just like in the depths of despair and, and actually I think about it and I think like, I'm so lucky that I've always been attracted to Kirtan because that has, is, that was always open to me. That was always accepting for me. And that was always inviting for me. And that and it didn't require any kind of, um, any kind of commitment, any kind of strictness, any rigidity. It was literally just like, go have the most fun with yeah. your friends bonding in a way that you can't do in any other kind of activity and, and make music and just like enjoy and you're doing, you know, and you're chanting Mahamantra. So like, right, and, right. and, and, and I, and I, I used to think back to, I'm like, man, I love, I love doing kirtan because it's like having fun without the guilt. <laughs> because everything else came with guilt. And I'm yes, like, wow, yes. I like doing kirtan because it was having fun without the guilt. So that was what I feel as that that was like the thread that kept me, um, that kept me engaged or kept me connected. And so actually around that time after like the whole GRE thing happened and I was like grappling with this whole, like, who am I? What's my, what's my deal? I had this inspiration to travel and I, I started like looking into looking at all these people who like, you know, sell, sell all their possessions and they travel around the world. And I was like, right. I, think I need something like this. I think yeah. I need to be like shaken up. I need my whole life to be like a snow globe, just like yeah, take away everything predictable. Like, let me get out of my habits. Let me get out of my, like uh, my self doubt and limitations. Of course. Now I know that, you know, that's, it's not the external world that does that. Um, it has to happen internally. However, that that trip, so Ruby and I took a year and we traveled around the world. Right. It really did change my life for sure. And it and I think that you know it it happened because my life was going to change and it changed my life. Right. <laughs> it both happened um, in conjunction with one another. But we yeah, we spent the year and we went to 18 different countries and we spent Kartik in Vrindavan. And at that time, I remember like, just kind of like really going to Krishna with a bit of desperation and a, a bit of just like raw human desperation. Mm. Like Krishna, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, I don't know how to approach you. 
I, I, I feel I have this like feeling that I'm not even supposed to approach you. There, there was that too. Like yeah. if you're not pure, how can you approach Krishna? There, I had that deeply embedded into my subconscious. But there was that, that was like, you know, in Vrindavan, how can you not? It's like the Brajbasis are, are teaching by example, like oh, just let all of that go. Just come to be, be with Krishna. Just have fun with Krishna. Just love Krishna and let all of that other stuff just fall away. Right. So uh, we spent like six weeks in Vrindavan. And there was like this longing. There was this deep longing for more. I was going through all of the motions, you know, like going on parikrama, going, chanting my rounds and going to the temple. And I was like, this is amazing. This feels great. But I know that there's something more than there's like, there's a way for me to really, really be experiencing this to the mm -hmm. fullest. And I know that I'm not doing it. I'm still so caught up in my, in my own limitations, my own concept of what spiritual life is. That let's pause there for a second. I love that point. I've been thinking a lot about that as well. That okay, you can perform all these devotional activities outwardly, but until you don't actually, uh, I can't even get. I can't even find the word. Like internalize them or uh, honestly, kind of uh, practice them. Then, like you said, you're not. You don't. You didn't feel like you were getting the full experience of it or the revelation of it yeah yeah and we and we know like from reading chaitanya charitamrita like there's goodness to be had <laughs> there, yeah. there there is so there the lengths of the depth of the the bliss that can can be had yeah. if we follow this this path it's inconceivable right and and at the same time, if we are so, if we are so limiting ourselves because we don't feel like we are worthy of that, or we don't feel like we are capable of that, then that's that's preventing us from actually experiencing the reciprocation of the relationship with Krishna. It's like with any. It's like with any relationship. If if I am so doubtful that I can be loved, then right. I'm not going to experience my partner's love. Right, right. Because I am putting walls up myself because I am caught up in this identity of I'm not worthy of it. And so I recognize now that that's how I was with in my relationship with Krishna because I was so... I was so conditioned to think that you have to do all of these external things in order to be worthy of Krishna's love. Right. And I think now like, you know, maybe I'm not capable of, of giving unconditional love. Like, well, I know that I'm not because it's hard, you know, it's yes, a yes. process, but I know Krishna's capable of it. Because he's yeah. the supreme personality of Godhead. Yeah. Of course, like I can I can receive that love, and that love is what teaches me 
that being able to receive like to go to to go take darshan of the deities for so much of my life it was this feeling of like i have to stand in front of the deities and i have to i first of all i have to just be completely immersed in in their form and i have to show them how much i love them and then more and more recently it's like the understanding of who needs the love more me or krishna and what if i what if i stand before the deities and i recognize like how much i am loved by krishna mm. and and that like really is what i need in order to fuel my desire to serve him i need to know that i'm loved right and so and, and this actually nitai goranga um or previously narayan prema yes. and prema nitai yeah. so he, he actually brought this up to me recently like yeah uh, i i when i take darshan i just i try to receive krishna's love and that spoke to me so much wow it's and and it's a change of perspective mm. and and it, it requires me to it requires me to shed those limitations of like the idea of being worthy of it and it's the understanding of and i want to go deeper into this topic too but it's the understanding of i am full of faults that's my nature as it's like that's i'm i'm a human being yeah and i'm worthy of unconditional love it's both and it's so easy to think of it as a spectrum of like i'm here unconditional love is here and i have to get there in order to experience it but really both realities coexist at the same time right both right um so yeah that 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 prayer in vrindavan yes it really took it really planted something and then we we continued our travels and and actually a big moment in my life of uh, uh, a time that i can look back to and say that like a lot of things changed for me and i feel like in a way it was when that prayer really fructified was when we spent time in australia with um with abi and shami hmm. um spending time with them really it it affected me in in many ways and in two ways in particular one was like that encouragement to let go of the shame and to and to really deeply internally experience krishna consciousness wow <laughs> and then the other thing was the idea of of becoming conscious of like recognizing consciousness and of using my consciousness to become aware of my own consciousness like that yoga that yogic um yeah practice of becoming aware of my own awareness and then as vaishnavas we recognize that that awareness is part and parcel of krishna so we're never removed i remember 
sitting in the car in, in Australia and we were driving to the temple. And I remember this so this moment so clearly, like the windows were down and we were like driving through the hills and looking outside at the at the clouds. And I was just thinking, you know what? I all this time I have been thinking that I have to figure out my material life before I figure out my spiritual life. I just I just realized that my whole life is my spiritual life. <laughs> I never stopped being a spirit. <laughs> I never stopped being spirit soul. Wow. Everything is my spiritual life. Yeah. And that was just like a misconception that I maybe had misunderstood from the way I had been taught. But everything is my spiritual life. And that that's like that actually changed everything for me. And it's just been kind of like an ongoing um, journey since then where, where everything changed. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> I wow. mean, a lot happened since then, of course, like we moved out of the city. Um, and this whole process of moving upstate was very, very mystical, very, uh, very profound. It involved so much surrender and talk about seeing Krishna's hand. I mean, I, I literally have been like feeling myself like the weight of myself being firmly situated in the palm of Krishna's hands, like not just the, in theory, but that is like the very foundation of my reality. Mm. That, that has, it's changed my perspective on everything. If, and, if, you, uh, yeah. if you would kind of um, say one event that, what was the one event that kind of really changed you? Mm -hmm. You say it's, I know it's, you had that, that um, trip across the world and everything, but, but within that, what it was it there in Australia? Did you, did you kind of really like, okay, I feel a real change now. Yeah. Yeah. So in Australia, especially and all around the world, um, there were a lot of seeds were being planted. Okay. A lot of seeds were being planted where I noticed that my thoughts had changed and my feelings had changed toward my life. And there was kind of like a more peace into relaxing into like life is unfolding and it's not up to me to control how it plays out. But what there, I can actually. I can actually say there were a lot of moments, but I can, I can say one time where I feel like subjectively my experience of life really went like from this to like this yeah. <laughs> was this moment. I think it was the fall of 2019 when I was, and it sounds like such a, not a very, it wasn't a very big moment. It was a very subtle thing. Right. But often that's how it works. I was cooking in my kitchen and I was listening to the autobiography of a yogi, the a book about Paramahamsa Yogananda. Yeah. I was listening to it on audiobook and I was cooking and there was something about like listening to that because it was like entering my ear as as an external source and then also 
my thoughts around what I was cooking. Like I was thinking, okay, I should wash the rice and then I'll cut the vegetables and the order of things. And I had this moment of like, whoa, I really, I really just heard my thoughts just then. Hmm. I really heard them as though they were separate from me. And I, it actually, it took me back. I had to like pause the audiobook, and I just started kind of observing my thoughts. And it was just this subjective experience of, wow, I am observing. So who's the observer? That's me, the spirit soul. That was that kind of like visceral experience of like, oh, I'm not my mind. Right. I'm I'm the soul. And then I was like, how long can I do this for? (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) can I live like this forever? Wow. And then it was the next few days. Actually, it was just like a hundred percent conscious observing all of my thoughts. I feel bad for Rupi because I was constantly like, wow, I'm observing my thoughts now. It's just like, it, it, it became almost psychedelic at some points because it was just started to make me feel like, it's like, is the world real? Like it feels like a virtual reality. Like it, wow. it was very, very trippy. It was very- like you, were Brahman, you were becoming Brahman realized at that point. <laughs> Something like that. There was some, yeah. It was like some um, little kind of inkling of like realization. Yeah. And I remember for a few days um, really wanting to hold on to that. And then also feeling like this is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's wow. really tiring. And uh, um, because it requires effort, it requires a lot of effort. And it slipped away, you know, after a few days. And then I, I would slide back into my my unconscious and I would, but it, it changed me. It changed mm-hmm. me from, from that time onward. And ever since then, it, I have been cultivating this idea of how do I approach my devotional service from that place, from that place of self, how do I approach my life from that self? And at the same time, acknowledging that I'm not a liberated soul. And so my conditioned self still affects the way that I see the world. But how do I become aware of it? Like how do I notice? How how can I like see when I'm being triggered and like what that's coming from? And how do I how do I I read this book? Um, it's called the the untethered soul by Michael Singer. He's the one who actually funny enough is the, he has owns the temple of the universe, which I had gone to when I was in Alachua. It's a, it's in Gaines. It's in Alachua. Um, he's like a Yogi, but um, it just so happens that he opened a center in Alachua, which I think is funny. <laughs> he's not a, you know, he's not a devotee, right. but I recently read this book and he talks about how we have, these sanskaras or impressions throughout our life. And we spend so much of our life just constantly referring back to those impressions. 
And we're yeah. not actually observing life as it unfolds in the moment or reacting to it in the moment. We're reacting to an impression that has been that has been placed in our in our psyche in the past. And so he talks about can how you, can you give an example of that? Yeah. So I'll give you the example he gives in the book. It's like you're driving down the road and ideally what your senses should do is just like give you an image or an experience of what your experience of what's around you. So yeah. you, see, you see the trees, you, you don't think about every tree you see, you see them and you let them pass. You can acknowledge you feel the wind. It's all being entered into your, into your system. Yeah. But then you see a car and this car reminds you it's the same car that your that your ex had 10 years ago and that ex hurt your feelings. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're like drawn back into that emotion. Oh, I see. And he talks about it as um our energetic body like and this is all stuff that I am so into now <laughs> that, that I used to think like, Oh, I don't know if it's bona fide, but I'm like, Man, this is, it's all in the Vedas. It's all, it's all part of it. It's like, just know where your, where your goal is, know what your, what your trajectory is yes. anyway. So like uh, he talks about how the, the energetic heart, it is, it, it has all of this prana moving through it at any time. And it, and when our energetic heart is functioning, ideally, it should have like this cycle of energy, just like it's a vortex. But these sanskars, they place blockages on our, on that, which allow which prevents love from moving out and mm. love from entering in. Right. And these blockages. It's not just when they originally get placed, you know, somewhere in our childhood, somewhere in our past, something happened that we were unhappy with. And so we've put up a blockage in order to protect ourselves. Yeah. And that's that that's part of, you know, being human. It's that's part of it. But later in life, when something reminds us of that thing, we get back, to, we get sucked back in to that blockage that original blockage. Yes. And the way he talks about it, which was so eye-opening for me, is that every time we get sucked back in, we have an opportunity. That is a golden ticket. And it gives us a direct access to where that blockage has been placed in our energetic body. And we choose to either perpetuate that or to let it go. Right. And so he talks about like, come back to that place and to literally relax the muscles around your heart and just like, you know, feel it, acknowledge it, feel it. And so often we're so afraid of feeling emotions. Like we don't want to feel pain, but that's part of, that's part of life. You know, it's part of the human experience to feel these emotions, to feel it and let it pass through the body. Mm. scientifically an emotion uh the chemical reaction that happens in our body when we experience emotion it only lasts for 90 seconds anything further than that we're holding on to too mm. so so we have an opportunity to relax behind it observe the emotion as as being separate from our authentic self because we are the observer of it 
we are the soul observing what's happening in our subtle body. And to relax behind it, and that's an opportunity to let some of it go. Hmm. So I've been putting that to practice so much with my, with all these things around my spiritual life because it's hard it, it, i found it hard to read shastra i found it hard to read Srila Prabhupada's words because it was constantly being um triggering all of the aspects of myself that i feel guilty about right and and i have a whole thing about that too about like my approach to Srila Prabhupada's books now and how my approach um my approach to Shastra has changed a lot. Let's, let's, let's yeah. pause there. I, I have some, um, a question. Uh, remember when you came over, we were talking, I wanted to connect it with what you're saying right now yeah. about, I was, I was asking you about, I think this, the, the way this whole conversation came about was because I was saying about, we're talking about money. Yeah. Remember that? And I was, mm -hmm. and I was saying, you know, I have this worry about money and you were saying how you were kind of making the same point that if, 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 if you if you kind of worry too much about it, you're kind of blocking, uh, you're kind of blocking this flow of um, I forgot what you said, but it but, but maybe you can maybe you can even say it now. But like if for example someone was uh, like, what is your outlook on on it? someone who's uh, kind of worried about things and has those kind of some scars or or things in their past that bring them to that? Because I feel like I do I do have that. Like it, it maybe like when I lost a job or something, I, I come back to that that moment like, oh my God, what am I gonna do now? Like, and I and I have that some scar in my mind that whenever I come across, you know, that worry of of losing one's job or not being, uh, you not 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 having enough money, it, it brings me back to that. So yeah, kind of, you tell us a little bit about that. What what you would say? Yeah, I, I one one thing that is so important and that I'm learning too that I want to say is that acknowledging that that is normal and that's human and that if we feel shame around coming back to those experiences that just perpetuates it too so okay. so let's also acknowledge that we don't have to feel shame around it that and and i i realized at some point i was like wow i'm i'm becoming a little bit of a self-help junkie and i'm like really shaming myself for having emotions and that's also mm -hmm. not it fam like we can't right. not, let's not do that either so yeah recognizing that that is normal that that's absolutely um part of our psychophysical design and then to recognize that all of those sun scars all of those impressions are aspects of our conditioned self and actually And this is something that I, I think really takes a lot of work. It's like easy to say it, but it takes internal work to, to really realize this. And it's something that I'm, you know, working on myself, but that our, our real self and as Vaishnavas, we know what, who that is. Like, we don't have to guess. That's the beauty of it. We don't have to be yeah. like the yogi or the, or the jnani that really just like, sits with nothing and just, you know, we have the blueprint that, and it tells us who we are. And we know that we're eternal servants of Krishna. And we know in theory, 
we know that Krishna is taking care of his devotees. Yes. He is taking care of us. So when I start to worry about things like that, I think like, oh, okay, beautiful. This is telling me what aspect of my self, what aspect of my conditioned self, I still haven't I'm, I'm still holding back or I'm still, I haven't been able to like let go and, and let God. <laughs> and so how beautiful right. is it that I'm getting this opportunity to, to know where those things are. It's, it's like little um, GPS pings, you know, right. like, bidding, oh, it's here. This is where I still haven't um, given my surrender to yes. Christ. Great so, point. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then like, wow, I'm so lucky to have that, the opportunity. And then, and then literally not without being attached to how it happens when it happens or what, what it's going to look like. Just letting, just relaxing the muscles in the heart and observing the, that emotion, observing the fear, observing the worry and physically actually just really asking Krishna to, to hold this part of me. Wow. And so I think as devotees, like we have this opportunity to really have every single aspect of our life feed into our ultimate goal every single aspect, every area of our life can be guidance, can be teachings, can be inspiration for our ultimate goal. Not just when you're sitting in front of your deities, not just when you're performing puja, not just when you're chanting japa, also when you're being triggered, also when you're being, uh, when you're, when you're feeling disrespected and you're reacting to that and, or, yeah. and then, you know, feeling bad about that. Also when you're fighting with your partner, like everything plays into that, that ultimate goal, which is really to, to surrender. I I love that point that you made earlier about you realize that everything is your spiritual life. Because I think nowadays, like me as well, we put a, such a division between our kind of like civilian life, material life, whatever you want to call it, and then your spiritual life. Yeah. So when I'm hearing you speak, I really feel that you kind of inculcated this uh this this idea that you're talking about that it's all your spiritual life but it's it's not so easy to do it's like you have to have this real like kind of revelation of how that happened and in, in your case you had this kind of like awakening i feel like how would you say we or other people can kind of get to that point because it seems like it requires so much depth of like like you have to like think you were like you had to really think about it a lot and and then come to that conclusion yeah i would say in one one aspect of it is try not to, to you know to anyone who's listening and who really wants that we can sometimes block it by our expectations mm. and i would say the first the first step of it is 
really, you know, self-realization is part of Krishna, Krishna realization. It's they, you can't realize Krishna without realizing yourself and you can't realize yourself without realizing Krishna. So study yourself. I think that is so important to, to become aware of like what your triggers are and what your, um, what is your internal dialogue telling you? What, what are your, what are your thoughts saying about you? What is, what are your thoughts saying about your, about your, your Krishna consciousness and just become, and, and I would even say you don't have to impose any kind of, you don't have to impose any expectations of what your thoughts should be saying. Yes. Just observe, just observe. And when I started observing my thoughts, I realized, wow, gosh, am I so caught up in ego? Like I'm so false ego. I'm so caught up in the, like this desire to be liked this desire to be, I mean, even, even before this podcast, you know, there's, there's, there's still so much within me that's like, okay, you know, you better say something inspirational. Like you better say something like, yeah, make sure you're thinking clear on that day. Cause if you're not, then you, you know, it's going to be embarrassing. There, there's those thoughts and I hear them now and I'm like, ah, you know, I just have to put up with this mind and that's okay. And, um, and it's, it's conditioned. The mind is literally a product of my conditioning. Mm. So, yeah, I would say start there, you know, just become, just become conscious of your thoughts, become conscious of your narratives. Yeah. And then it's, it's sometimes we think of like, we think of transformation and progress so in such a linear way of like well i have to learn all the steps and i have to know the mechanics when actually it's like or you can observe and you can let go and just see what happens <laughs> and right. you'll be surprised because ultimately we are not the ones doing any of this we're not the ones in control and so yeah, I'll start with observing the thoughts. I would That's say. really great. I, I I think that um, like how has it changed the way you treat other people? Because because I feel like you like the way you're speaking, like nothing could bother you. Is that, like is I mean, it, I'm sure it does, but I mean, yeah. in an ideal sense, like the you're you're speaking like a very um, in a way that it's okay you know, feel things and I understand, but then anything that happens to you, like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I was, I was really, especially cause you know, we've been in isolation for the past year and a half. Right. So, right. so I, I've been so much like in my hermitage. Right. <laughs> there, so there, there was like, you know, months where I wake up every morning and I'd like play um, Tibetan singing bowls and I would just like get in the zone and <laughs> literally like would close my eyes. It was, it was, you know, just sitting, observing my breath, uh, out of body experiences, like all this kind of stuff where I was just like, whoa, this is it. Like, this is everything. And then, um, you know, you come back to life and, yeah. and, 
I would sometimes become influenced or impacted by other people and notice my reaction. And and my reaction would would be like to be annoyed or to be frustrated or to to be angry. And then I would judge myself for having that reaction because I'm like, Kumari, you're the spirit soul, like unconditional love. Why are you feeling this way? (laughs) And I I would have to remind myself like, "Um, hello, I'm not you know, Buddha, (laughs) I'm a human being and I, and I have, and this false ego is there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And it's meant to be utilized in Christian service. Like I'm not meant to give up my false ego. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of self-awareness. It's a lot of self-awareness and then being compassionate to myself when I don't react in the ways that I would ideally like to. Hmm. but then it's, it's, and it's also, man, the things that I used to give energy to that I just, I, I, I can't give energy to anymore. Like I have my, my ways of, of viewing things. I have my approach and my, my perspective in life. And if people don't agree with that, that is not in my, that's not in my job description to (laughs) agree with me. And in fact, it is just, it is just um, harmful for both of us because for them, it's like, I'm imposing an idea and I'm not approaching them with love. And for me, I'm getting frustrated because I'm not, you know, I'm not being understood or I'm not being heard. So, yeah, and this is something I really learned from my sister Rasa Priya. She, like ever since for the past like 10 years, she's always told me this, and I never really fully understood what it meant until a few years ago. It's just like Kumari, just give love. Just give love. If someone it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's it's so not worth it to give in to things that are um and it's and it's also it's also a sense of humility too that's required because I I understand that I don't have all the answers. I don't really I can say all these things from my experiences, but I don't really know how you should best live your life. So I can't I can't instruct you or I can't like impose upon you. So yeah, all of those all of those things. It's it's a it's a I'm a work in progress, you know. It yeah. It's all it's all part of the process. Do you think that because I find um, men and women are so different, and 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 for for men to do some of the things you're saying can be kind of a struggle, maybe even more than women. Because I think, I think we so. Put yeah. up so much more, like a, I think a guard on our emotions and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that is. I think that's absolutely true. I think that society has really conditioned. Right men to be that way and women to be uh, another way, you know? Um, But I think what that, I feel like what that comes down to is relationships. Like you don't have to be openly, openly vulnerable and emotionally, you know, transparent to the whole world. I don't think that that's beneficial to do that. But to have some relationships that you can fully let your guard down and be 
be fully yourself with all of all of the shortcomings, all of the flaws, and to and to really take off all those layers of expectation and to just like be accepted and be seen and be heard. That yeah. is so important. Um, and so I, I think that cultivating that in your close relationships, I think that it's, I feel like it's so important for men to have that. It's definitely important for women to have that. And I think women kind of find it more naturally. Um, I think it's so important for men to have that with their male friendships. Yeah. Um, I was, I was getting guidance and, and speaking with Varshana Swami a few years ago. And, and actually in terms of my whole life trajectory to, to where that leads me up to where I am now, he has played a very, very big part in it. And wow. I, and I, I, I really prayed for guidance at a certain point. You know how <laughs> Gorgo Vindaswami is like, you have to cry for Guru, you must cry. Like yeah, I yeah. found myself in those places wow. many times. And 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 I remember talking to Rupi and just saying, like, I I'm so I'm longing for guidance from someone who can meet me where I'm at. And actually, I sat, me and Rupi sat with Varshana Swami and and he he said those exact words. He said, Guru needs to meet you where you're at. Wow. And, and I, in that moment, I thought, wow, okay, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, no doubt. And then something he, he also said was, and he speaks so beautifully about, about relationships, about authenticity, um, about revealing one's heart and inquiring um, confidentially and how that's a, it's a confidential matter. It requires vulnerability. And, and something he said to me, which really stuck with me, is that that Krishna loves you exactly the way you are. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Wow. <laughs> so Amazing. It's both things. And I think that that's what a really, really beautiful relationship does. It it, it provides a container for us to be exactly where we are. And it also allows us to be inspired to, to grow. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I would say cultivating those relationships are so important. Right. In the beginning, I remember you're talking about how when you were in Gurukul, it was a lot about the outward things mm -hmm. as opposed to the inward things. Mm -hmm. Now that you've kind of gone through these different realizations and to you who you are right now, how has it affected now those outward things, those outward things that were outward at that point? How, how have they changed? Yeah, I like that question. It's something I'm still learning and I'm still experiencing. Because I have this, this really innate desire to do everything that I do with so much intention and so much awareness. And at the same time, I recognize that it's not always going to be that way 100%, which gives me more perspective and understanding of why 
we are taught the external rituals, why we are taught um, the, the structure of having sadhana a certain way. Because yeah. until the love is 100% spontaneous and we're coming from 100% of that, of that identity of, of soul perspective, part and parcel of Krishna, you know, entirely dependent on Krishna's mercy. Until then, there is always going to be the effects of our external environment, which bring our consciousness through ups and downs. I recognize that if I spend a lot of time on on my phone or like I'll spend a whole day you know spend so much time scrolling on social media and I'm not eating well or I'm not eating healthy or my I'm like you know my schedule is really weird yeah that it's difficult that me showing up and sitting in front of my deities to chant japa is like much 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 more difficult right so it's not just that I'm not at the level where it's just everything's driven by my internal will to, to be very, very conscious and intent with everything. Of course, you know, I'm not at that level. So the structure is there to help me. Yes. The externals are there to help me. The externals are there to provide a container to provide shape for that, for that internal and so now I'm like, oh, okay, that's why they're valuable. That's why they're important. And that's why I don't have any interest in giving them. I don't want to like, you know, as attracted as I am to just like the whole, you know, like just give it all up and just, I know that I'm not, that that would be false. I know that that would be um, unrealistic for me. So I recognize that engaging in those daily activities are for my benefit and, and that, that those are cultivating this journey to ultimately to, to complete consciousness, complete um, intention in my devotional service. And while I don't have that yet, I, I keep, you know, Vaidhi Bhakti, we have, we can't ignore it. It's, it's, it's literally the way that we get to, the spontaneous love right and then and i like the point you were making about and in vaidhi bhakti you can't just perform those activities and then expect it's going to get to that spontaneous point there's a kind of like real internalization of why you're doing it and um like a real conscious way of doing it it's not just like a a formula it's it's actually something that needs to be developed not mm -hmm. Uh, in a in a mindful way not a mindless way yeah absolutely and i and i realize now too that there's always this the two there's all there's two realities happening at one time conditioned soul living in this material body in this world and eternal servant of krishna uh, you know that's satchidananda yeah and those both of those realities are happening at the same time this one is performing the Vaidhi Bhakti because this one, you know, both are real Vaidhi Bhakti and Raganuga. And then Krishna loves you exactly as you are. 
and he loves you too much to stay that way. It's like mm -hmm. both of the wow. realities. And I'm doing these activities, um, these external activities, and my 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 mind is engaged, my consciousness is engaged. Like these both are real, both have to be done at the same time. It can't be all superficial yeah. and it, and it can't be all um a denial of the superficial in order to just reach the eternal or the supreme because if you're not there yet you're going to be driven by an idea of what that is and you're not actually going to get there <laughs> right, right. So it's, yeah it's both realities it's it's this and this it's my my feeling yeah i want to i want to um uh, did you have another thought on that oh i was just gonna say like i was hearing the other day from rasik mohan prabhu who we both love and yes you know, um, <laughs> we've been, we're super lucky to get a lot of their association yes. and we we're talking about vaidi bhakti and he was saying you know we have this idea that like vaidi bhakti needs to be that we it's a means to a, a goal and then we let go of it like we let go of the rules but actually vaidi vaidi is eternal there's always there's always going to be Vaidhi. Even the gopis in in Golok have they're still following Vaidhi. And he used the example of the gopis are looking everywhere for Krishna and they'll run to the tamal tree and they'll embrace the tamal tree and they're running after the uh, the clouds and they're trying to embrace the clouds because they're looking these things resemble Krishna and they remind him of Krishna, remind them of Krishna. But when Uddhava came and he looks so much like Krishna, they didn't run and embrace him because mm. they have an idea of, of the limit of like the rules. And it's not because it's rules. It's because it's, it's because of their spontaneous love, but it's yeah. still there. So that was just a point I wanted to make. Right. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, his holiness Varsana Swami, because yeah, I, 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 I was in the men's retreat uh, with um, a few devotees and uh, Gorvani came to me. He's like, Nam, do you want to, you want to go really early in the morning to Prabhupada's Mangalarti? Barsana Swami is going to be there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So the next day we went in the morning and we were just like kind of observing him and, and uh, we chanted with him. And then when he was leaving, we followed him. Like we were just followed him back to his, um, his kutir and, and, uh, and he saw us and then he's like, oh, he showed us all around the Radhakund and all these places. And then we s sat with him in his um, in his little house and he was just telling us about things. And he was just like such a mystical, mystical person. And I felt so like I'm with someone who's like um, who's taken like the Shetra Sannyas and never like who has really kind of so much is in Vrindavan within his mind and. Uh, but also, you know, externally making those things and stuff. I, I was just very taken aback by his uh, just being with him. And I and I feel like, um, tell us a little bit about why you kind of, how you got in contact with him and how you, uh, what's your relationship been like and, and how he has affected you? Yeah, yeah. Everything that you said to describe him is so true. He's such a, um, such a, jewel he's so he's so mystical and so genuine so sincere and so yeah. humble that if you didn't know you might not even see it it's like yeah it, it's uh, you know how 
Gorgovinda Swami says, in order to recognize a sadhu, you can't see a sadhu. You have to hear from them. Yes. And when, when Varshana Maharaj starts to speak, I mean, I had an inkling that he was special. Like I had a feeling that he was special, not just because, um, you know, he came to our wedding and I had, uh, he invited us to come to his house and so that he could give us his blessings. And, and then also kind of just like observing and hearing what other people were saying about him. Like I would hear things that here and there and I'd be like, wow, this person said that. But then also that person said that. And, and also someone else like, wow. Um, I think that he's really someone I would want to hear from. Yeah. And then I remember it was like around the 50th anniversary year I was in New Vrindavan and there was a gathering at old Vrindavan and uh, all these devotees were, it was 50th, 50th anniversary of New Vrindavan. And, oh, right. and they were reminiscing and giving all these stories about Srila Prabhupada. And, um, and then Varshana Maharaj came and spoke and he only spoke for about 10 minutes. And he spoke about how, it was just such a prominent, it was such a impactful message about how the, the disagreements and the quarrels and the fighting among the devotees in community is likened to the forest fire. And at this time it was there, there was so much happening within management and people were upset and people were fighting and he just went up there and it, it, he spoke for 10 minutes and he just he spoke about that and how the for, the forest fire. And I remember sitting there and I was like, it was a visceral experience where I felt like every single word he was saying was pure, unfiltered truth. Wow. Like I just felt like my whole body was just like, <laughs> and then I started thinking, okay, yeah, I need to hear from this sadhu. And so I every time I go to Nuvrindavan, now I take the opportunity to sit with him and he gives he's given he's given his time to me and Rupi just so with so much love and he's literally sat with us for like 3 4 hours just allowed conversation and allowing, give, providing a space where I can feel comfortable to reveal my heart and to and to share my struggles and my yeah. my feelings, and then to meet that with with like genuine love and affection and guidance instead of being like whoa, you shouldn't be feeling that way in the first place, you know, like some of the struggles that I've um, internalized around like, you know, GBC and things like that, that I'm like, <laughs> that I struggle with. Yes. <laughs> Institution and. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it, it, it has been, it has been such a huge, huge blessing in my life. And. Did yeah, you make any comments on uh, institution that you could share that you remember? He said to me that, because um, I was talking to him about Guru Shishya, and I was talking to him about how I have a desire to gain 
to to have teachings to have guidance like i want that so badly and i want to be able to like fully trust someone i want to be able to give up my um my fear to yeah. like fully trust someone but i don't feel ready to to take vows and i don't feel ready to um to make a commitment that i'm not sure i can i can handle or that i can maintain and um he said <laughs> he said our institution plays far too much emphasis on the on the um what was the word he said on the formal on the formalized aspect of initiation wow wow initiate uh, he said grew and disciple relations are intimate and they are personal yeah and that just was like for me because wow. i needed to hear that um because I, i i again i had this idea of like well if you can't if you don't do all these things then you're not worthy of 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 having guidance from someone so yeah things like that um wow. he is yeah and then another really really special thing about um Barshana Swami is he his connection to nature yes it's really mystical innate like deeply spiritual connection to mother earth and to bumi and i find that so refreshing because we cannot remove like we cannot be like oh i'm you know i'm a devotee and i'm just interested in you know doing my service and everything else is just like you know who cares this yeah. is a material world so like let's just throw styrofoam and landfills and you know all that stuff like just like <laughs> who cares and we don't care about that stuff yeah yeah But, um i don't he has these he has these incredible stories about the animals in New Vrindavan just like incredible experiences with the peacocks and and how like the peacock there's some there was one peacock who would go on the um on the top of his every morning there's a peacock that would go on the top of his little outside altar like this little temple yes and and drop a peacock feather every single morning for him to offer wow <laughs> the peacock would go and drop a peacock feather things like that just like really beautiful mystical things yeah and so yeah he's an extraordinary soul like when i think of a like a like a medieval sannyasi like i think of him like he's actually doesn't have any possessions really he's just kind of like He's a Saint Francis of Yes, yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um I I uh so a little bit more about kind of the relationship with Krishna um developing. So now how do you feel so you, you were saying okay initiation is is uh you know it you something you spoke about and things and he gave you some guidance and things about. So what about like so now I feel like you have kind of really come to your for me 
I would be like, this is like the pinnacle of, of like where I can be because you have some like real deep realization of, of, of your, of yourself and stuff. Of course, Krishna Prema, we have to develop that and stuff, but what do you feel is like your next step in your journey? Yeah. So I am, I'm just like such a nonsense when it comes to sadhana. (laughs) I'm such a nonsense. I have, that's, that's my, a really big thing for me. Like discipline is very, very, very um, difficult for me. And, and I, and I noticed too, that I have like such an aversion to it because it's like, Oh, like, because there's still so much false ego. That's like, Oh, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be put in a box. Like, I don't want to be yeah. restricted. Um, so whatever, you know, whatever realization I've experienced, it's, it, it has solidified for me that I, that I want to be firmly fixed in Krishna consciousness. That's what it, and, and that to me is already everything because it solidified the goal like i loved how mahatma prabhu said in your podcast like we can't be averse to the goal yeah and to solidify that goal and to understand like that is my goal to to be able to have a, a strict sadhana to be able to chant 16 rounds to be fully immersed every day in krishna consciousness that is my goal and there's a virtue in that in like having that as my goal and then you know, also recognizing that there's a process to get there. But so f- for me, it's it's just, yeah, to develop that strength. And that is what, you know, actually, this is something my friend Abhi said to me, like Balaram, that, that, is, that is who Balaram is to us. He's Guru Tattva and Balarama is spiritual strength. Right. That that is, um, I, that's something I I'm I don't have is that strength to like be regular, be consistent, to show up. So, I see, I see that I have light years to to still you know make progress in my spiritual life, but to me the just just knowing that um that I want that I want to be on the ship. <laughs> It's like, okay, knowing that I want it is like part of, part that's of that. so much a part of it. I feel like that's so much a part and of it. I want to give that. That's actually like my, my, I feel like my message to people, like yeah. know that you want it, get super, super clear with your intention nice. and then, and then let go of the, of the, of the attachment to like how it plays out and when it plays out. Life is life in this material world is very is is getting very weird yes. <laughs> like the world is getting weird and it's just going to get weirder that's that's how i feel like if i could give one message to people yes it's very strange it's just going to get stranger um varshana swami talks about the golden age he, he, he talks about these things like the um the increase in both in both pure and dark forces like the increase in um in both morality and in whatever the opposite of morality is morality. <laughs> morality. Yeah. and and so like 
I see that happening right now. It's it's happening. It's very strange. And it doesn't, I, I, I'm not concerned about like what people's views are on things. Ultimately, as devotees, we have everything we need in order to rise through this and to to yes. become stronger in in our surrender and to come close to one another to come to one another with the commonality of like we have krishna in our hearts and yeah. it, you have an opinion and i have opinion but why are we letting those things separate us we have we have the maha mantra and we have we have Srila Prabhupada who unites all of us, no matter what Sangha we come from. We all agree that Srila Prabhupada has given us, he even said his books are going to be the, the law books for the next 10,000 years. Yeah. We, have, we have that commonality. So let us, let us really deeply like, find that strength within each other. Really think- great point. Really great point. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about um, it, it when we become our authentic self or when we try to become our authentic self, it seems that so many outward things can influence us to not go in that direction. For example, um, maybe your authentic self is to not to, uh, you know, dress a certain way because mm-hmm. You don't feel that's authentic to you. Like example, wearing a devotional clothes, what we call devotional clothes. But there's so, but but the outward, the society, and the and outward things are influencing us that no, you should do that Mm -hmm. because that's how a devotee looks and things. Mm -hmm. How would you? What would you say to someone who who wants to become their authentic self, but they feel like these outward things are influencing them? Yeah. Yeah. So. In my own experience, I've noticed that the things that I feel are that kind of prevent me from being my authentic self, a lot of them are things that are from my childhood. Right. And as and as Vaishnavas, we understand like what we've experienced that has caused our conditioning is unlimited. You know, it's not just our childhood, it's past lives. We've been we've been going through this for practically an unlimited amount of time. And so I recognize those things which which make me feel limited. And and I recognize that the reason why I accepted those things is because I felt that I had to act a certain way in order to be loved. That was like the fundamental understanding. Right. Like for me, I, I grew up with this, um, like I call it good girl syndrome. I had the understanding that if I, I have to be good in order to be loved, and if I'm not good, I'm not going to be loved. Mm. So it's played into my life in so many different ways, like um, subconsciously, really, it, it affects it affects me. And I, and I notice that it limits me in my creative expression. It, it limits me in, in like my in some like sense of freedom and acknowledging that. And this is going to go into like, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I have done a lot of my own internal work. And I recognize that there, there is an inner child that wanted to be loved. So she accepted these conditions 
in order to be a certain way. And at the same time, I have this awareness of self, which is the that which is observing. And and I I see it as kind of like a a reparenting of my conditioned self. Hmm. Where I kind of approach it, and this is a it's an, I'm not making this up, this is a a a process used by by psychologists the approach of seeing that conditioned self that childhood self that was molded in a certain way that is affecting me today and then becoming the parent like becoming the 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 soul who knows better like the intelligence who knows better yeah and so for me i recognize that in this desire to be the authentic self, sometimes there's this like also rebellion of like, well, I just want to like feel like myself all the time. And I just want to, you know, do whatever I want. Yeah. And then there's also this like internal parent in a way who, um, and, and as a, as a devotee, as a Vaishnava, I, I recognize that, that my true self is eternally a servant of Krishna. I also recognize that my true self really is, and this is a little bit of a tricky one, but it's like understanding that the the words and the instructions, and we can go into this after, like of of guru and of sadhu of our acharyas, are there to benefit me, yes. and so there's certain you could call them restrictions, but it's also, you, you could call it um, like cultural design that they've given me is there to benefit me. And so it's kind of like coming from both of those places. It's the yes. And yes, I'm conditioned, but yes, I'm also an eternal servant of Krishna. It's um, so it's understanding that I also, I'm, I am still in this process and I'm still need guidance Yeah, and I can give myself guidance as well as taking guidance from guru and Shastra and sadhu. So it's understanding. Yeah. That sometimes we, we do put on an external dress because that is what is pleasing to Krishna or that is what is suggested by, by our acharyas. But I think that's such a personal thing. It's such a personal thing. I, I think that people have to come to their own realization of like, well, what is what is it that I'm that I want to maintain in terms of my in my own reparenting process? Like, how can I reparent myself with love? And sometimes a parent will let their child, you know, get away with certain things because they they love them and they know that the child is learning. Like, I I see myself going towards sense objects for example like oh i want this chocolate and and i'll see i'll see it happening and i'm like wow kumari like you're really you're really guided or you're being really pulled by the senses but if i like i'm constantly like you know 
And then how's that going to cause my, uh, how's that going to make my senses react? Even Srila Prabhupada said, you can't, the, the reins on the horses have to have some slack. You can't constantly be pulling it so tight. So it's like really, it's a personal thing to understand um, where you want to come from with that and, and, and giving yourself guidance to, and to know like what is actually beneficial for your spiritual life. Yeah. That's, that's really important. The guidance part is really important. I think, if I was to kind of put my own spin on it, I would say that sometimes we care too much about what other people think or how they see us. Yeah. We kind of like inflate our own importance to other people. Yeah. And like, I, I, I'm 35 years old and I only came to this like maybe a year or two ago. Like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I mean, like I, and I've been so much more happy being like that, of course, I'm not going to go and do immoral things or things against my principles, but, but, but it's like a real subtle thing. I think that, you know, you have to, you have to let go of a lot of things. Yeah. And know why you're doing it. It's like, am I putting on, on a sorry because I, because people will see me and they'll know that I'm good devotee because I have on a sorry, or am I putting on a sorry because I, because this is, you know, whatever internal reason, like we want to, I personally love wearing saris, obviously, wearing right. a sari. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's like, get get really clear on your intentions. Yes. I think that's so important. Very important. Get clear on your intentions. Yeah. Let's look at the, um, we're, we're running out of time, but let's look at our um, comment section. There's a bunch of questions here. Uh, a lot of appreciation uh, for Kumari and what she's saying. Um, let's see. I saw a few recent ones, but I didn't. Okay. Uh, let's just look at, this looks like a practical question. How could you afford a year of travel? Yeah. Rupi was working remotely while oh, okay. the whole time we traveled. And it's funny cause you know, we traveled around the world and our expenses, um, including like all our stay and all of our flights was actually less than living in New York city. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. Exactly. It's yeah. It's, it's but the way we did it, it was like it was very spontaneous. We would always look at, we would just go on Skyscanner and see. What, you can just like type in Europe and yeah. say like I want to go to Europe, you know, and then it'll show you what country is the cheapest to fly to. And we were like, well, oh. that's where we're going next. Right, and then we right. we would stay with friends or stay in Airbnbs and. Yeah, so we we definitely did it um, like low cost, but Rupi was working the whole time. So props to Very him. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Krishna Komala and Namras. Great podcast. My long term goal is to chant sixteen rounds each day. I feel ready, but at times I think my mind seems to make the progress overwhelming. How can I overcome this, please? I do not feel qualified to to give any <laughs> advice. James, I'm from your perspective. Don't look at it as, as giving yeah. guidance, but maybe yeah. just if a friend is asking you something like that, what would you say? I mean, you mm. I, I don't want to I don't want you to think um or I don't want you to feel like okay, um you have a lot of experience. I mean, you've been a devotee your whole life and, and you had ashram experience and things. I think you can really share something uh valuable with people who are asking even such questions. Mm. Okay, so so yeah, from a friend perspective. I feel ready, but at times I think my mind seems to make the progress overwhelming. How can I overcome this? Yeah, actually something that I, I can share that that His Holiness Rashana Maharaj shared is 
we sometimes forget the power of our desire and the the just of having a uh making a sankalpa mm. and having an intention having a desire we we kind of forget because we're ultimately we're not in control or nor are we even the ones who are doing we're, what do we have as jivas as tatashta shakti what do we have we have our desire we have our free will and we have our desires so the the strength of that desire i feel is what makes the process more achievable yes. and put we can put energy into like strengthening that desire that sankalpa yes that's what varshana maharaj says is like really become very put a lot of focus on the sankalpa right oh man maybe i do have an answer to that that was cool great, great answer. <laughs> very, very nice so you're basically saying like um make your make your desire stronger and and to do that you need to educate I wouldn't say educate, but uh, kind of be more clear about why you're doing it, and that will make your desire stronger. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Paramatma is in our heart, fulfilling our desires. That's yes. really, Par Paramatma is the one who's doing all of the work. All we're doing is we're desiring, and then like, yeah, we we you know make some attempts to do either karma or bhakti, but. Yeah. Paramatma is the one who's making things actually happen. And, and also Krishna is the one who decides, you know, if we're becoming closer to him or if, so really what do we have? We have our desire. Mm. And so make that and make, make it so super strong. And then under, understand that, like, I think we limit ourselves sometimes because we have this idea that like we have to do it all actually we're just taking one little step and krishna's krishna's doing the work and, and that one step is the is the desire and the determination mm. i would say strengthen sambandha gyan understand mm. your really understand who you are understand who krishna is and then when you make when that understanding is stronger your desire for performing bhakti is stronger yeah yeah yeah, and all of that was advice to myself too, because the sixteen rounds is not—I'm not there yet at all. So, right, right. I'd like to strengthen that desire too. Thank you, uh, from our friend Rajabumi. This is great. What a wonderful conversation regarding Varshana Swami. To glorify a devotee makes Krishna happy and is necessary for our progress. Chadia Vaishnav Seva Nistara Payache Keba. So, thank you both for sharing. Kumari, you're my hero. What inspires you in life to keep going and to stay so positive despite all the craziness and divisiveness going on around us? Mm. Great question. Oh, oh, Thank you. Such a good friend. He's he's always inspiring me. Yes, um, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I think like one, one way you could say that it's staying positive, but in, a, in another way, I think it's like radical acceptance. <laughs> of reality yes both internally and externally and in that ex acceptance reminding myself that krishna is in control yeah. i had an experience like when this when the pandemic started we were living in manhattan and everything started getting really really intense around us 
and I was like experiencing so much anxiety. And I can't, I can't even imagine like Reg Bumi, I, th I, I would think about what you were going through and I like, can't even imagine one tiny fraction of what you went through with, with being in the hospital setting during COVID, like, and how much yeah. that must have taken in order to do that. I was experiencing anxiety in, in my house, you know, in my own way. And, and, and I remember talking to Prema, Prema Vilasini, who's a therapist. And she was saying how anxiety is a result of feeling lack of control. Mm. And it really made me look at my life. It really made, it, it was a big realization for me because I thought, wow, if I'm having this much anxiety now, it's a direct correspondence to how much I thought I was in control. Yeah. I thought I was, I was so, I was so under the illusion that I was in control that now because it's that illusion is like leaving, I'm experiencing anxiety. So then like giving up that control, being radically, like radically accepting, understanding that this is what is happening here um, is happening. And it, it's hurtful. It's painful to know that all these things are happening. It's hurtful and painful to know that people are suffering. And at the same time, I'm not in control and it is not within my wheelhouse to remove other people's suffering. Only Krishna can do that. It's not in my wheelhouse to change the, the, all of this craziness outside of me. And when right. I, when I realized that, and I realized like what is in my wheelhouse is to actually have a desire and intention to, to genuinely have bhakti and then when that is cultivated, then Krishna actually gives you the ability to, to alleviate suffering because he gives you the ability to, to spread Krishna consciousness. And really, as we know, like that's really the only escape from all the suffering. Yes. So, yeah, I, you could call it positivity, but I also would say it's just like, um, and, you know, maybe some people would say that it's um, bypassing. Oh, I don't know. But I think it's important to acknowledge the, the, the pain. It's important to acknowledge the suffering yeah. within myself. Sit with those deep, heavy, dark emotions um, and acknowledge them, not ignore them. Yeah. Great answer. Okay, let's see. Uh, I think he has a follow-up question here. And can you share a little bit about how you see the world progressing and what mm -hmm. role can we play in it? Yeah. I like that. I had a dream a few weeks ago. I had this really far out dream I'd like to share. Sure. I was in this beautiful scenic place and I was with a couple other people. We drove there to look out uh, at the ocean. It was like, I don't know, somewhere mountainous, maybe New Zealand or something. And we we're out there looking, admiring this beauty. It was very like, it internally, it, it, initially started out like very, you know, auspicious and beautiful. And then this, this spaceship came in. And at first I was like, wow, what is that? That's very weird. <laughs> and then another one came and then another one came and then another one came. And then until the entire sky was covered in spaceships, and this was a very vivid dream. The wow. entire sky was covered in spaceships and 
then it got very ominous and the spaceship started shooting like sending down lasers and, and then panic ensued and all of a sudden i was in a different place and we were everyone was running like screaming just complete panic and mayhem we we're all running to the cars and i remember running to the car because everyone around me was running and i remember thinking no we are not supposed to we're not supposed to play into the panic we have everything we need Right. And I remember saying to the people in the car, I remember saying, no, we have the Maha Mantra. And, and I said in this dream, um, the Maha Mantra is our Astra and our Kavacha in times right. of battle. And I started chanting and I just became overwhelmed with this sense of peace. And then I woke up and I was chanting the Maha Mantra. And even after that, I like re-entered the dream I went back to sleep, re-entered the dream. The car turned into like a golden orb and went under the earth and, and then we went to a different dimension. It was all this, but um, I've been doing a lot of dream work. I'm super into all of that stuff. I just really? find it so fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, and, and of course, like Varshana Swami is like someone you can talk to about all these things. <laughs> so he really you know, um, has so much insight on all of this, but yeah. So, we have, we have, I just can't stress it enough. Like we have the thing that is going to allow us to, to rise and to grow and to, and have compassion for one another and to alleviate our suffering, our own suffering. First alleviate our own suffering. And then we can, you know, I think it probably both happens at the same time. But let us not allow those walls, those sun scars to um, to block us from actually like being from jumping into experiencing. Now's the time we we have to we have to do it. We have to join in and in, in, in Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan party. Like I always say this to Rupi, I'm like, we just have to stay in the kirtan. Just get in the kirtan and stay in the kirtan everything else is external get in and i, I just want to i always want to say to people like whatever is stopping you if it's fear if it's doubt if it's shame get in whatever way you can and if you need to talk about like what is difficult i am there i'm so open to to like hear from you and to there's there's so many devotees vaishnavas who will who will be compassionate and non-judgmental yeah. So let's, let's get in and let's the really, that's how we're supposed to travel through this Kali Yuga is on the strength of the Yuga Dharma. We're not meant to do it um, some other way. Amazing. Yes. I really like what you said about when you were in the dream and you were telling people like, we don't need to panic. Like we, we know, we, we know, we know what we have. We have something so amazing that we, 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 we can't, we don't have to panic. I like that. I really like that a lot. Thank you for that. Um, okay, looks like we're at the end here. Oh, we have a Kastuba Prabhu watching. Oh, I'm a big fan. I want to bring Kastuba Prabhu on um, on the podcast so we can talk. Uh, although he came on with Raghunath uh, Prabhu also, but on his own, I'd like to hear his story as well. Uh, we'll set that up. But uh, Kumari, any uh, parting 
uh, statements or concluding statements for our listeners. I, I had it. I had an amazing time talking to you. I mean, I I, I knew when I was speak, speaking to you at the dinner table at that time. I was like, she's got something, and I want to hear about it. And and you did not, um, you know, you did not uh, say any. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Thank you. So, any concluding statements? Yeah, I will just say, like, in terms of authenticity, something that my brother-in-law, Nikula, said to me, which really stood with me, is the only thing we have to offer the world is our individuality. Right. That, you know, we, and it's the only thing we have to offer Krishna is is our individual self, because everything else is his. <laughs> mm. Right? Like, uh our our free will is 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 unique to us so we when our intention is sincere and when we like really trust we really trust the process we gain insight into who that authentic individual self is and when we use that self and, and not just use that self come from that place in our mm -hmm. service then everything, everything in life is service. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm on a continuous journey my own, in my own way. And I just okay. want to encourage, I want to encourage in whatever way people can um, let go of, of some of anything that's maybe holding them back and, and just to, to trust and to allow that to happen for every one of us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kumari. And if you want to get in touch with Kumari, she's on Instagram uh, at Kumari May. You can see her handle there on the screen. Uh, you can you can talk to her and ask her. I mean, I think you're going to get a lot of questions because uh, you spoke so much great wisdom. And I think you can help a lot of people. I really appreciate that. Uh, so. That's the end of the um, episode 59. Um, next week, uh, I'm not sure exactly who I have next on next week, but uh, it's going to be also a good, exciting uh, podcast. I'm trying to do 100 episodes by the end of the year. Um, I guess I'm on my way there because it's only May now and we're at 60. So let's see what happens. But Kumari, I'd like to bring you on again and we can talk about our next thing, you know, whatever, dream work and all that. I love that kind of stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. Yogi Charu, my teacher. Yeah. Oh, Yogi Charu. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Okay, cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Kumari, stay on a, a little bit longer. I'll turn off the live. Mm -hmm. Hare Krishna. Thank you everyone for listening. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna.